So, what comes after episode two? That's right, episode three. And in this episode of Unprofessional, presented by Bodyboard King, make sure you check out the new website. I'll go on about this till um, I go hoarse in my throat. The next episode is with an absolute legend of a guy, James Bennett, um, sick bodyboarder, absolutely sick bodyboarder. Uh, the guy has the biggest collection of bodyboarding magazines and memorabilia, I reckon, that anyone has in Australia. We talk about that, but he's also an incredible musician. So we discuss his work as a musician. We discuss his bodyboarding passion and some of the achievements he's managed to have in bodyboarding as well. And, um, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed this episode. He, James Bennett is a classic um, and very interesting character. And, yeah, as I said, the guy really rips. So in his own right, sick bodyboarder, great bloke. Check out his music. He's a bit of a legend. Enjoy. And we're live with another episode of the Laboogie Podcast special series, the Unprofessional Series. And I have on the uh, podcast today a young fella who I've known for quite a while now. He kind of was floating in my hood for a little bit. Um, I think he was kind of stealing the local ladies, of a, or a local lady. <laughs> but, um, yeah, James Bennett, musician, epic bodyboarder, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Josh. No worries. Was I right? In like, like was, was your partner from Foster originally? Look, I, nearly, I was nearly going to have a go at you then. That was a nice sort of intro, wasn't it? <laughs> He's throwing them already. Haven't even got five minutes in and you're calling me a hussy. <laughs> well, when I was like ladies, I was like, well, I don't think he was stealing all the ladies. It was just one girl from that was just that one. seemed to be hanging out with. Yeah. Just one. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. But yeah, I think I met you at the Jeff Wilcox comp actually for the first probably, time. Probably. Probably. Well, maybe that was actually my, um, I think that was my comeback. Hey, I think that was my first comp back into the game. Yeah. Yeah, because you were pretty rusty. <laughs> nah, kidding. kidding. I should have been after 10 years. Kidding. Nah, you're ripping. <laughs> epic, epic. And I think you were too, if I remember clearly. That was um, a good, good time. Welcome to this podcast. I'm really stoked to have you on it because, you know, like I've, I've liked the cut of your jib for a while. I thought you were a pretty cool dude. I really have enjoyed your music. I've, I've gone to a couple of gigs over the years, not as many as I'd like, but I've been to a couple. Um, I got the chance to catch up with you at the Wave Pool for Mitch's Found Waves event, and that was epic. Just to get in the water and you know experience that was unbelievable, really. Um, so now it's really great to have you on the podcast, and and this podcast series is a little special because it's kind of speaking to people who are bodyboarders who haven't really made it their profession, but have gone on to do other things quite exceptionally or have interesting lives and experiences that they can share with the community. And I guess like I don't want to downplay your bodyboarding because I feel like I can see in the background we've got some trophies on the um, above the collection of <laughs> DVDs and VHSs and I'm, I think you've got every Riptide there too if, I've, if I'm correct. Yeah. Like yep. what's, your, what's been your engagement with bodyboarding, you know, from the beginning and what, what was your kind of hopes and dreams with it along the way? Um, I kind of, I come pretty late into bodyboarding because I grew up, um, it's kind of west of Byron Bay where I was born oh, and, um, cool. till I was about 14, I didn't even know what bodyboarding was. So, wow. 
there's there's a pretty big backstory which I, I don't know if we have time today to talk about that but when my parents finally split up for the last time you know they used to get, <laughs> split up and get back together all the time sure. um you know I went to 17 different schools when they were Jeez. deciding if they wanted to stick together or not you know moving around the state I guess and then we finally settled in Port Macquarie and um I guess you know you can work out from there how that sort of started because Port's pretty pretty big for bodyboarding and um mm-hmm. I was about 14 at the time so I started when I was 14 um and I just went to Port High and I think it was Sam Bennett actually funny because we have the same last name but um he was the kid they got to show me around the school no way yeah so we were in we were we shared the same um we were in the same class and and yeah I, I heard that he was everyone in school at that time we think we we're in year eight and everyone in school at that time was like oh this guy's really good at bodyboarding and mm. i had no idea what it was i was like oh i'm into that so that's kind of where it started for me that's so simple isn't it like in yeah. a way like after all that messing around like 17 schools that must have been like i've that must have been so hard as a kid dealing with that, like trying to make friends and settle in like shit. How many years were you bouncing around schools for? Yeah, probably, I don't know, from maybe from when I was about eight till I was about 14. But, wow. yeah, my, I got two brothers and one sister and we were all in sort of different ages at the time. Um, my youngest brother suffered the most but we all suffered a lot because whenever we went to a different school, they are obviously on a different page yeah. with what they were learning. Yeah. So I don't know if you've ever picked up on it, but if you're ever talking to me or, you know, I'm a bit slow with my words and I'm not super quick right. um, with comebacks and things like that. And I, I blame it all on just the process of how I was sort of, you know, how I learned everything growing up. I just never had that easy sort of schooling. Interesting. Well, you know, to your credit, you've turned out to be a really good guy. So, you know. The rest really doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's um, yeah. you know, it's kind of you know the most important thing is that you're a decent bloke. So I feel I'll like you've ticked that box. Yeah, you've ticked that box. So who cares? But yeah. um, I was going to say you're pretty quick with the comebacks at the start of the podcast. So I don't know if you're that slow. Oh, I'm getting better. <laughs> I've learnt from the best though. You're pretty good at it. <laughs> yeah. And Kingy was always in the lineup at Breakball, so. I was going to say, you must have, it's a pretty competitive local bodyboard scene, so you must have had to have, um, you know, really gotten your game face on pretty quickly. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's really cool. Like, so what year was that then that when you were in year eight and, you know, you've rocked up to Port Macquarie of all places and Sam Bennett of all people um, is your, you know, your your mentor, I guess, at the school to show you around. Like what year was that then? Like which which um year does this situate you in? Uh we would have been Oh, I was fourteen, so it was two thousand and four. Two thousand and four, okay, yeah. right. Cause that's um that's funny because I think in two thousand and five we didn't go to Port High, we went to Westport on a bodyboard promo tour for human shoes with Kingy. And yeah. that's like yeah, it must have been two thousand and five because that's the year when he spiked my drink with the weed oh. before the school visit. <laughs> yeah, and like, yeah, I was just gonna think. Like, I was thinking, like, shit, was, were you in the audience when I was, was I there? Hell? Yeah, yeah. I was oh, just I thinking I, about that. I wish I was there. That would have been amazing. <laughs> I, know. I know, I know. 
Because um, we yeah, it was around that sure. period of time, yeah, and it was just so fucking hectic. And that's in another episode for anyone who wants to hear that story <laughs> from King himself. Um, Try a plug. But, yeah, but like what was the – um? so like how quickly – because you're – I really think you're an exceptional bodyboarder, like whether you want to admit it or not, but like how – and and you've got these trophies on the wall behind you. Like how did you get so good so quick? Because there's examples of this. Joe Clark's one that comes to mind who came to bodyboarding quite late, but what was the secret for you to really get into it and get moving so quickly? Um. Well, yeah, I like I- – I love bodyboarding so much, but yeah, I guess it's probably my hum- the the humbleness in me that I just don't want to brag. I hate, I've always hated, you know, name dropping and bragging and what that. So I'll do it thank, for you. Thank you, thank you for, <laughs> thank you for saying that. But um, I, I find it hard to take compliments. Um, so when you say how did I get so good so quick, it's it's kind of okay. hard to answer because let me ask the question differently. <laughs> what was your journey like on a bodyboard from the age of fourteen? How did you engage with the craft? Um, I don't know. Like, well, my, well, I live with my mum obviously because my parents split. Um, and mum was always she didn't really have a great job, didn't make a lot of money, were pretty poor. Um, so I never had my first brand new bodyboard. I think I was about twenty years old. Like every bodyboard yeah. I had was a secondhand pawnbroker bodyboard, or you know, at one stage I think I had one that I just found at the beach <laughs> that belonged to someone else, which was better than the board I had. So yeah. I use that for a little while, and I know I really think that um, when you just sort of come from nothing, and and everyone sort of you 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 want to be like everyone else so much, I think it drives you so much more to sort of you know progress quicker. Um, yeah, I don't know. I was I was envi- envious of so many people, and obviously, yeah, that year I think two thousand and four was the year that Kingy won his first world title. I think he did. Yeah, that so, was the year yeah, to have someone like that that lived. You know, up the road virtually uh, mm. I was just like oh this this whole and I'd never known about bodyboarding growing up I didn't know what it was and I'd just come straight into it all these people were super talented and I had not like I didn't even for probably the first two years I didn't even own a pair of fins like I used to just wear boardies no wetsuit and just I just was the most you know the epitome of a kook like just <laughs> couldn't do anything so I just w- really really wanted to change that quickly so may- maybe that's what it was like Maybe. to fit in, it's an interesting way to say it, to fit in. And I, I kind of, a part of hearing that makes me awkward, but also like I understand with Port Macquarie being Port Macquarie that you, like if you can be in the bodyboarding world there, you've got instant, like you've got friends, like you've yeah. got them. You've got a yeah. whole community, a massive one that's full of cool dudes because it yeah. is a cool sport there. It's so interesting. as a It's a parallel universe, you know. Like I think I came in at the right Macquarie. time. Every, mm. Like that year, especially was like I don't know. Bodyboarding was probably at its biggest right there. Yeah, the year that I got into it. So you know, with Kingy and all the guys that were sort of killing it at that time, it was just mm. like Port was bodyboarding. Mm. Totally, totally. Mm. Um, and so were you? I know that Port Macquarie has this. Um, you know, this there, there's no like there's Port Macquarie, but then there's Town Beach and Lighthouse Beach. So where were you? I was just going to say before, with no offense to Foster, because <laughs> Foster's amazing. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, um, actually, we, we do all right. Yeah. The, I think, I don't know, maybe Port just had you on numbers. Oh, yeah. No, Port, Port had Epo too, you know. Like Port true, had true. the first world champion, you know, a whole, yep. you know, almost a decade earlier. And yeah. 
and then it had all of these talent like DeGraff and the Murray brothers and yeah. um, Simon Thornton and Mason yeah. Rose and, you know, like these they, they had a special thing and it, it's just and, – and then that next generation that came after those guys like Sam Bennett and Chase O'Leary and, you know, all that crew, Jones Russell and that, like it's, it's um, Charlie Holt, you know, like there's a whole other generation of guys that were absolutely incredible as well. So, mm. yeah, I don't take any offense to that. I knew that Port was the center of the universe for bodyboarding. Yeah. 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 It was down the road, but it wasn't the same thing. No. Yeah. It's funny though because when, when you say that at the same time, we would do like my first surf trip was to Foster and we were just like yeah, exactly. frothing, frothing to go to Foster because it was exactly. somewhere different, you know. Um, exactly. But in answer to your yeah. first question, I, 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 was, I lived across the road from Flynn's Beach. Ah, so that's a, bit of a, that's a bit of like a no man's land, isn't it, in between the two? Yeah, sort of, but there was sort of like – I mean, every beach had its had its guys that were Bergen. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, there was a solid crew that was at Flynn's, you know. They used to call us the Flynn's oh. crew, which, you know, whatever, I'll take okay. that. But I lived across Sorry, the road, I've, so it was I've easy. I totally missed a whole other crew. I've just left out a whole crew. I thought there was only two. Oh, there was heaps. There was heaps. Like- Even um, the light LHB crew and the North LHB, Wall crew, yeah. Break Wall, you know. Ooh. I mean, I surfed everywhere. Like, I didn't just mm. surf at Flynn's, but I was – you know, for me, just walking around or riding my bike, I'd just go, I'd end up at Flinney's. Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, it's, um, wow, it's super interesting, that introduction. So, you know, those trophies on the wall there, you, we had a chat before you, um, before we started recording and you said that there's one trophy on there in particular, which is like your fave, you know, it was a special one for you. So mm. grab it, grab it off the wall. Where is it? It's, uh, oh, I don't it's know if you've already taken it down. It's just here. So, yeah, so give us a look. So what was this one all about and when did that happen? I don't know. Yeah, it's probably it's pretty hard to read because it's glass. But um, it was 2008, so I was 18. It's yeah. always easy to remember my age because it just goes with all the years. So, and it was for bodyboarder of the year for PMBA. Um, and I was so shocked. I remember just when I won it, I was so shocked. Um, at the time, we had probably one of the better um, comp organizers, Shawno, who was um, the dad of like Ben Hall and Luke Hall and Dave oh, Hall, yeah. those those boys. Yeah, um, and he was an absolute legend. Um, but leading up to it, I won the AAA division for the year and the drop knee division for the year. And I remember kicking back after that, just going, "Oh, well, what? Like nothing else, you know? That's done. That we're done. Let's go home." Yeah. And then I think this was the first year that I that I might have even done PMBA. I did it a few years after that. I didn't know how it went. I didn't know there was a bodyboarder of the year. And yeah. um. And it finished the, the night and they said, yeah, bodyboard of the year. And, you know, they give that speech like this person has done this yeah, and this yeah, person, yeah, I yeah, find yeah. this person really, you know, always helping, blah, blah, blah. And um, and they called my name out. And uh, at that time, there was a fair few people in PMBA. I, it probably would have been 100 people. And yeah, I was, I still am pretty shy. And, and being, I remember the feeling being so shy even to get up in front of everyone. And, you know, everyone's <laughs> like, speech, speech. <laughs> And I went up and got this award. I was just like so nervous. I just had no, I just did not expect it at all. And he shook my hand and I think Kingy was up there too, might have presented it to me and I was just so nervous. I don't think I said a word. (laughs) (laughs) I think they gave me, there was a bit of cash involved too, but um, it was apparently supposed to be my first plane ticket to Hawaii. I don't even, that never eventuated. I think I just bought a wetsuit out of it because I had nothing. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but yeah, I was so shocked, man. Um. All the other, all the others up there, they're all from PMBA. Um, I, I went to every comp for probably five years in a row. 
Yeah, right. But yeah, that one that that's my um, I don't know, rub it in your face trophy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds well earned. But I mean, yeah. it's just really interesting because I want to get to your music career and how you transition, like how that came about. Because yeah. like, I just hearing you say that you're shy is so weird to hear from a musician who sits in front of crowds and entertains them like people are looking Mm. at you the whole time and you're there you know singing your heart out and strumming your guitar like it's pretty interesting to hear that you're you're shy by your natural disposition so I mean how did you develop into a musician from this kind of space like and did bodyboarding help you in that move in that direction like how did how did you become the musician you are today yeah I think it did in many ways um just while I think about it, when I when we would do surf trips, when I was sort of growing up, I had a little crew of sort of close mates that would, even before um, a lot of other guys from Port sort of started of my age, would start sort mm. of traveling elsewhere. We were sort of, I just, my mates were a couple of years older, so I just sort of broke into that crew that sort of started traveling. We, they'd go to South Coast or up to the Gold Coast or South Oz and stuff. Yeah. And um. So I was, I was lucky to hang out with those guys, but we we just go around and rough it, sleep in the car, sleep under the car, sleep in a tent, sleep in the bush, wherever, that sort of stuff, you know what it's like. Mm. And I think that's what got me hooked on the traveling and touring and I was so used to it already. And even yeah. when I talk to other musicians, they're like, man, you just tour so much, you don't stop, you're everywhere, you're here and you're there. And I'm like, I just don't see it as any different because I was just doing that anyway. Yeah, And it, it helped me a lot because I... I just to overcome that, being alone in the car for hours and hours at a time, traveling. I've always got my board with me as well when I'm touring, so it's like yeah. it's a double double whammy. I get to surf and I get to play music, which are two things I love. But, yeah, like I am really shy and I think that comes from how I grew up, mm. um, away from people, isolated, never had like any social situations growing up like at all rather than just being around my family. Mm. Um, I've just been shy, but at the same time, my early experiences, like, and growing up, listening to amazing artists that like my parents listened to, like Bob Dylan and Paul Kelly and all that sort of stuff, great songwriters. Yeah. That sort of got my mind ticking. I like, I always had the guitar in my hand, always wanted to play, always wanted to write songs. And I think, yeah, as much as it freaks me out, not anymore, but when I first started to play in front of people, um, I have, I do have like a, I've built a bit of a confidence to be able to, I, I, I enjoy what, what I do and I, I, um, I, I like my songs. If I didn't like my songs, I wouldn't release them and, you know, wouldn't record them and release them. So I enjoy playing them and I, I do feel a certain, I don't know, push to get my music out there. So it's kind of a balance between me going, hey, dude, you just got to do this, even if you're scared. And, um, not wanting to do it, it's like, yeah, it's pretty, it's a, ba- a constant battle in my head, I guess. When you say you like your songs and that's what gives you a, a kind of a purpose behind sharing them, what is it about them that you like? Is it is it the message you've put into the song or is it the sound of the song? Like what is it exactly that you hold on to that gives you that confidence to project it out there? And by mm-hmm. the way, I love your music. So I'm a fan, but like, what is it for you that you like? Yeah, um, I don't know. I think it's it's pretty. I get asked all the time what like what style is my music 
um, I just find that really hard to answer because I, I love a lot of music. Um, it's sort of it sits between the like because I love a bit of metal. I love old school Dylan and um, Paul Kelly and Beatles and all that sort of stuff. Like love that sort of music a bit more. And then there's this whole scene. I feel like that's come out lately. Maybe the same way that I've gotten into what I do. That's sort of this dreamy folk surfer, long haired dude that like is cool, but I I don't want to borrow that. You know, like I don't want to look like that. I don't want to do those things. It's just it's a real ego filled sort of way to do things, which is totally fine. They can do that, but I want I I think I sit somewhere in the middle. So it's it's really weird to sort of explain what my music is and how it sounds but I guess it's like I love lyrics I love songwriting I love the words um and how it makes me feel um there's a lot of people out there that that just write songs and they just want to make money which is fair enough you know there's plenty of people that are doing that but um what drives me is the feeling of it what I love about music is how it makes you feel and how certain lyrics and the way you say certain lyrics and phrase them and can change how someone feels when they listen to it. So my music's based really heavily on that. Um, not about the image or what, what anyone else is doing. It's just purely what I'm doing. Like I write all my songs basically in this room now. Um, I have for a while, been here about eight years, but yeah, always on my own, no one else around, um, how I'm feeling. Something has to happen to sort of trigger it. I don't force myself to write music. Only happens when it happens. It feels a little bit magical sometimes when it does because I just I'll write a song and it'll be done in you know however long the song lasts for you know. So it happens really quick and it just I know it gives me that feeling. It's an adrenaline thing and it's similar to bodyboarding in a way where it's kind of addictive and um, you just want to keep doing it and doesn't matter if anyone's watching you. You just do it because <laughs> you love it. <laughs> That's really funny. I was just my sense of humor gets the better of me sometimes, and it's not always funny. So, like, I think I'm funny, but like, <laughs> I, like I was just thinking then, like, I was I like, that as well. oh, what is he gonna like? Because I've made him do a podcast. Is it like he's gonna be like, Josh made me do a podcast, and it was really awkward, like to thinking about myself, not like talking about myself. So, like, <laughs> I was thinking, like, is this an inspiration moment? Is it gonna come out no. in the wash in a, in a couple of weeks? No, That's no, buddy. I'm, That's not at all. Like, I'm, I'm, so happy to be talking about it. Um, yeah, I'm stoked. That's cool. Um, it's just, it's hilarious. Like, it's interesting to me, music, because, like, I love music as well, and part of my life has been in music. And, you know, like, I bought a ukulele because I, I wanted to be like Tom Moray and be able to, you know, strum yeah. around with people and, you know, have a bit of fun with it. Yeah. But, like, it's interesting for me. Like, you say that the words are what, like, you know, it's about how the words and the lyrics and all that kind of thing come out and, like, it's really interesting to me because I don't hear lyrics when I listen to music. It's really hard for me to sing along even with songs I know because yeah. I yeah. hear the music and that's what I'm attracted to. Like I, if I go to a live gig, I can hear the notes that are off in, a, mm. in the whole band and yeah. it, like it, it's painful. Like I can, oh, yeah. I can hear when the bass player misses it and, and hits the wrong you know, yeah. the wrong spot on the fretboard and I'm like, yeah. oh, whoa, dude, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, and it's really interesting to me that like it's kind of weird because everyone else is singing along and I'm like, damn, I wish I could sing along too but I just yeah. don't remember the words. Like it's yeah. just not in my head. So interesting. 
Yeah, it is interesting. And maybe that's um Yeah, I know maybe I maybe I should think about that a little bit more when I am writing. I, I just I'm I'm kind of stuck in my style and the way I do things. And there's definitely a group of people mm. that love love that. Um but I know what you're saying. It's funny. I like the kind of songs I write I like because I've written them, but they're not necessarily the songs that I think I might go out and appreciate. Yeah, it's really weird. Interesting. It's very That's, weird. But but would it, wouldn't it be like the height of narcissism to write music and then go listen to music like how you write it and like love it? Wouldn't that be like being a narcissist in music a little bit? Like it probably Maybe makes more sense that you love yeah. metal, like yeah. hardcore death metal, but you actually like playing the cello, you know, like, yeah. it's, <laughs> like it's the opposite. Well, you know, like my music I've got is really um, inspired. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I listen to like exactly. Slipknot and Avenged Sevenfold and all these like, <laughs> that, you know, that, that one I mean. stage that's where great. every bodyboard movie had a death metal soundtrack to amp you up. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, I think it's all feeling and it just like, it's like, oh, it makes me want to surf, makes me want to charge. But then like mm. at the same time you use that same emotion to play something really sweet and intricate on the guitar, finger picking and write beautiful lyrics. Mm. Like I find them really similar. As weird as that sounds, like Slipknot and Angus and Julia Stone, they're like total opposites, but I think they gel well. <laughs> That's just me. <laughs> at the core. They gel yeah, well at the core. Okay. They're coming That's from the same place. Yeah. I mean, it's it's great. I mean, like, because I've got a really good buddy. Um, he actually came to the gig um, that time in Newey where we came to your, your show over at um, oh, yeah. Carrington and we, yeah. and we sat down for a bit. And he's a great lyricist. Like that guy is like lyrics. He writes yeah. them. He he loves them, but he he hates performing them. Like he just can't. If right. he, like shy is he's on another level of shy. And um, yeah. but he's brilliant at lyrics. And it's wow. like some of his stuff is incredible. And it's just wow. him on his own in a room coming up with stuff. And it's from the heart. And it's from yeah. his you know from his soul. And it's um it's just really interesting to be so in touch with that in yourself and i mean was that a was that an a thing that came naturally to you or is this something that you've had to cultivate um in yourself when it comes to producing lyrics like you say it's like a an inspirational moment when you create music but is there something that you've trained in yourself to be good at that um I listened to a lot of Bob Dylan growing up because it's what my parents listened mm. to. And as everyone knows, I mean, he won a Nobel Prize for writing lyrics, mm. writing words. He's, he's so good with his words. Um, and at, from a very young age, I would listen to, uh, like, I'm, re I'm not very well educated, like I said. Um, I bailed school in year 10. Li nearly everything I, I've learned in songwriting has come from just listening to Bob Dylan. Like, I don't read music. I don't, I've not been taught anything, how to sing, anything. Like it all comes purely from just listening. And mm. even, I even remember being like five or six years old and appreciating Bob Dylan's lyrics. I, I, I think a lot of people would find that pretty weird, but for me, that's just how I grew up. And that is weird. Were, they were always talking about like, oh, how cool is it how he said that? And, and he said this, but he meant this. And I would constantly just think about that and like analogies and you know using you know different words for different things or talking about something but meaning something else 
and almost 100% of my songs are that, you know, where if you listen to it, you think, oh, this this is what he's talking about, but it could be a thousand other things. And I think that's what makes it really universal. Like uh, I go on my little Spotify thing where it shows, you know, the demographic and who listens to what and whatever, and, and it's, it's just even throughout ages, you know, between 18 and 70, 80-year-old people. It's just it's not like there's no spike. It's just really cool, I think, to see that, it's not like a like a music that a certain age group listens to. Like everyone sort of, mm. you know, the right people obviously have to listen to it, but it's all just, you know, if anyone else was sort of to do that, I'd, I'd like to see what it would look like if, if you know, you just, just had a death metal band, it'd be like 24 mm. to 20 to 32 year old sort of thing. Yeah. But mine's yeah. pretty even and I'm pretty like, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked with that. Like that's cool. It means I'm reaching all ages. Yeah, that's interesting. That is really interesting. I saw that you shared a post only very recently with your yearly Spotify stats. Like, I'm going to try mm. and pull them up now because I thought it was um, it was really cool to see that. Like, what are some of the key statistics on your music and how many people are getting into it and stuff like that? Like, what's the um, – just trying to find it. Yeah, well, with Spotify, I mean, me and just about every other muso mate that I have I've met along the way just mm. – <laughs> Yeah, there's a real sort of hate, I guess. I was going to say, Spotify. it's a pretty contentious thing to talk about, isn't it? Well, I mean, yeah, owning a podcast, you'd probably know. It'd probably be a bit, bit pretty similar. Um, yeah, they, it's just like it's a great platform. It's a great idea. And if I wasn't on it, I wouldn't be reaching the sort of people that I am. A lot of people probably wouldn't have mm. discovered my music that, that have. But um, at the same time, like it takes away from physical sales, which back in the day was just about all an artist had. Yeah. Um, and I was sort of right, I came into it right on that cusp of like people still are buying CDs sort of thing, but, you know, right when it sort of was like, yeah, this is not happening anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, vinyls are cool. But, um, yeah, Spotify just takes over all of that and um, mm-hmm. doesn't pay artists. You know, anywhere near what they they should be getting, or anything equal to what a physical sale was. So, while the mm. statistics look really cool, um, yeah, it's not like I'm making any amazing money from it. So, nah. And I was just going to say, some of the statistics they they're impressive. I mean, it's it says he had 124,000 streams um, over the year, 11,000, close to 12,000 listeners, rounding that up. You know, some over 8,000 hours of listening and um across 70 countries i mean this is like international out like you're reaching people internationally and mm. it must feel great to be able to get that kind of data like and as you said you can see oh, your yeah. demographics there's no spikes it's evenly spread across generations like these are really cool things to know but there's a consequence and that's called you don't get paid as much as musicians used to <laughs> um yeah and i'm sure you'd probably just rather get paid properly to make it your your full-time job or i mean and it should be asked now, like, is music your full-time job? Are, have you managed to turn this into your job? Yeah. Yeah, well, up until all the COVID stuff, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it still is. I'm just waiting till I can just get back into it. But, um, mm. yeah, for 10 years probably, it's been my full everything, nothing else. That's great. Um, I've not, yeah, there's no... I mean, I, I love a bit of photography and, I, and I'll sell some of my prints every now and then, but that doesn't certainly doesn't feed me or anything. It's just like a little bit of cash here and there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just it's music, man, 10 yeah. years. 
Interesting. That's so cool. And I mean, but as you said, like on with this music career, it's kind of, it's funny that like it makes a lot of sense now understanding that you went from 17, you went to 17 different schools between your, you know, up until you were 14. Like it makes sense that you're cool with being on the road. Like it, it makes it seem like very normal behavior really after mm. hearing that. Um, but these tours that you've been on and and this kind of journeyman kind of vibe with your bodyboard under one arm and your guitar in the other, like <laughs> it's it has taken you like to some really interesting moments and I guess one of those moments I'd like to try and dive into a little bit more because it was recently shared again on Instagram and like you happen to be at Shipstern's at the same time that Mike Stewart's getting towed into like absolute monsters. Like tell yeah. us that story. Was that linked to you touring and you just happened to be there at the same time? Is that what actually happened there? Yeah. <laughs> Not at all. No, that's really oh. cool. It's a really, really cool um, how that happened. Yeah. Um, Let's go no, there. I'd just tell a story. I just I'd booked a tour down there. Um, I had two weeks down there. I'd been there. Four, I've been there four times. This was the yeah. This was I think it was the fourth trip that I'd been down there. Fourth tour for music, and um, I had two weeks down there, maybe ten shows, and um, I'm good friends. I think as you know, with a few of the Tassie locals. Yep. Um, that were all at the at the Future Waves thing. Um, yep. And I met them before, and yes, yeah, so I, I was obviously I'd got in t- touch with them, and I was just like, "Yeah, I'm coming down. Like, we'll hang out, guys, whatever." Um, and Swanee actually, Jeff Swan, who's a yeah absolute legend. Shout out to you, Swanee. <laughs> um, he 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 hit me up. He goes, "Oh, um, there could be a good swell for Stern. Um, maybe the second week that I was there." And I'm like, "Yeah, well, you know, cool. I, I'm got a couple of days spare. Uh, obviously, I was planning to surf. I had my board and everything, and only had gigs." Friday, Saturday, Sunday, sort of thing. So I had I was free for the week, um, and and it just it, as it got closer to that swell, it just looked like I was I was more and more going to be down there. Like it was like, yeah, yeah I'm, this could actually happen where I'll just be there at that time. Mm. And then the next, oh, the, sorry, the night before, um, I think Swanee called me and he said, oh, I, th- I think Stuart's flying down from Newey because he was at up at D five. Uh, like I live in Newcastle, so. Yeah, five body shop, bodyboard shops just down the road. Um, so he was up here, I think, for the launch of that shop for the shop. Yeah, they just moved, and um, obviously saw the same swell and just booked a flight down there that night. So I was already going down there. I was already going to be there, and then Swanee calls me up and said, "Hell, Mike Stewart might be down there," and I was like, "Oh, that's a bonus. That's cool." Yeah. So um, yeah, and I was down there by myself. I was just like I always do, touring around, just solo man, and um. I couldn't get a, uh, I couldn't get a ski or a boat or anything. I couldn't join with anyone because it was they were all full. So I just did the walk. I got up at four and just walked all the way down there with all my camera and board and everything. And I was intending to surf, but <laughs> when I saw it, I was like, nah. It was um, pretty massive. So I just sat on the rocks and 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 watched. And the first, I maybe the first wave or the. First two waves that Stuart got, I didn't even know it was him because I'd never seen him in a hood and gloves and yeah. booties and everything before, you know, and it can be hard even to spot your best mate wearing that sort of gear. Mm. And, um, yeah, he got a few waves already, which I, and I filmed. I'd filmed everything. And I don't normally film. Like, I'm a photo guy. I love taking photos. But I didn't have a tripod. I hadn't, like, I shouldn't have even been filming. But it just so happened that, like, those the first two waves that I didn't know was Stuart was it was Stuart's <laughs> and yeah. I just magically filmed him, you know. So mm-hmm. everything about that was just 
fate. And um, yeah, I think after the, his second or third wave, um, I saw he sort of paddled into the bay, and um, and then I get this call from Swanee, who's out on the ski, and he goes, um, I think Stuart's coming in to say hi, <laughs> and I was like. <laughs> What are you talking about? What do you mean? <laughs> I didn't know what, like, I didn't know what he meant. Anyway, sure enough, like two minutes after the phone call, he he just appeared behind me on the rocks and just used to say, "Hey, man, how are you?" And I'm just like, "Oh, <laughs> holy shit! <laughs> I never met you before, and now you just sneak up behind me." Anyway, I had like a, uh, like some dried apples and some water and everything, and the next thing you know, we we're blowing out in the rocks and. <laughs> Took a photo. I don't know if you've seen the photo where he's pointing yeah. at, at a wave. Like, yeah, he's just like, oh, get a photo of me and like did that and, and exchanged Instagrams and whatnot and just had such Sick. a cool time. And then, yeah. And then I, I'm not, I wasn't, I'm not, obviously not a, sh- a Shipstones local, but he asked me <laughs> where, where to paddle back out. And I just, yeah. I had heard that people jump off the ledge out around the back. And I just said, yeah, <laughs> go that way. And then that was all I saw. Um, but yeah, and then I went out and tried to. I think he got a couple more waves that I filmed, and and then I ended up paddling out and sort of sitting in the lineup, just looking at it. Yeah, but yeah, totally not planned. Um, and then obviously had the the grueling two hour walk back. But I was just so stoked, so elevated, just frothing. So the short story is Mike Stewart came in to scab some dried apples off you. Oh, sorry, I missed that part. Um, he actually came in. <laughs> He actually came in because he was busting to go to the toilet. <laughs> so he'd gone all the way in down in the bay and he'd, he'd yeah, he'd doing his business somewhere down there. Um, you know, obviously he's got all the hood and everything on. So all he, the gear. Yeah. But yeah, if it wasn't hilarious. for that, I wouldn't have met him. So that's cool. Yeah, Mike Stewart needed to go to the toilet. So then you met Mike Stewart. Exactly. That's great. That's Pretty great. Cool. I mean, and, like, I've seen a lot of your, like, you know, I follow all your stuff and you, you're doing a gig here and I see you, you know, on the road and then I see some photos pop up and, like, a few slabs and, like, you're pretty good at kind of, you seem to get a lot of good results when you're, like, on the road. You seem to score often. I, or mm. it, it comes across like that. Like, you, are you always just ready? Are you always still, like, even if you're doing a gig one night and you're, like, I'm sure they're pretty late nights and stuff, like, are you just, up and at it the next morning if it's on are you just fully prepared if i'm i'm not normally a good morning person but when Uh i'm touring it's just some of sometimes i'll be roughing it or you know i might have a fair drive the next day so yeah yeah pretty much when i'm touring i just i'm just up and going and i've lucked i've yeah i I have to call it luck like i just luck into it because i'll i'll book the gigs without sort of knowing that there's a swell or, you know, now I'll mm. book them six months in advance sometimes and I'll just yeah. rock up and it'll just be like snapper will be all time or something, you know, and it's yeah. just the amount of times that's happened, the odds have just been in my favour a lot, a lot. Yeah. Which I'm, yeah, super stoked for. Oh, that's epic. That's epic. I mean, I can't keep going on this podcast without talking about your collection in the background. Like, I yep. mean, is, uh, what are we looking at here? You probably don't want to. I won't share your address because you'll probably get robbed after this. Bit, yeah, but like I probably will get the, robbed. Like, what do you got here? Have you got everything? Is it everything? Pretty much. I don't know if you can see in the video, but basically the bottom two here, mm. bottom two shelves are all Riptides. Mm. Um, sorry, did that just get heaps loud? I'm just yelling into the mic there. Um, no, you're right. Yeah, every Riptide, and there, and I've got like a. I don't have OCD because that is a 
legitimate mental health disorder. I'm a perfectionist. I'm a perfectionist. And they're all in order from one to 150, I think there is, or 250, what is it? Yeah, 200 and something. Um, and then it goes to movements. I got all the movements, all the the rush mags, all the early rush mags. Yeah, the, classic. Most of the VHS tapes that came with them and bodyboarder, bodyboarding magazines, few, and nearly every photo annual down there for Riptide and then a bunch of, then it just goes to a bunch of VHS and then DVDs up the top. I got, I think. Amazing. VHS and DVDs, I've got about 300 all up. But Amazing. every mag, every mag, every Riptide, every every Liboogie, <laughs> every movement. Sick. Yeah, it's my pride Dude. and joy. That's amazing. I mean, it's funny, quick story about the Rush Mag because that was a pretty special little magazine there for a while and um, I think it's the only time I ever got a double-page spread in a magazine was in a Rush Mag. Oh, wow. And yeah, and my, my grandmother was so proud that she went and bought it from the newsagents and then had that double page laminated um, <laughs> and stuck above her toilet in her wow. um, retirement village. So every time she went to the toilet, I was I was there. Wow. I was there. <laughs> wow, there's this weird thing with bodyboarding and going to the toilet that this, this podcast has taken a weird twist to. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, a lot of toilet talk. Do you remember yeah. what issue it was? It must be an old one because the photo of me, I think I'm 15 in the photo, so I'm 37 now. So, I mean, working backwards, I'm so bad at math, but it must have been around the early 2000s. Yeah. Well, I got them all there. Early 2000s. Mm. I got them yeah, all there no. if, you, if you want it's the photo. Like it's just such a rich history. Like it's just I'm I'm stoked you've got it and, you know, we've yeah. been talking about collaborating on other things and – that's still I still need to come and hang out and this one's cool. Go through yeah, need to go through some stuff. That's, that's my absolutely joy. epic. It's a gem. Yeah, and it's that's absolutely epic. mint too. I've seen a lot of them that are just tattered form, but it's just absolutely mint. Amazing. Nah, it's so good. So look after it because I've got to come around and I've got to look through all that with you because we've got I've spent hours and hours in here yeah. just looking at those. <laughs> I still <laughs> find epic. something that's new. Epic. Like it's ridiculous. <laughs> Exactly, and like you know, there's there's a lot of nostalgia in bodyboarding at the moment with the with the older generation reconnecting with it, and it's so yeah. positive because I think that all those old stories, you know, there's still a lot to learn from those magazines, and through, you know, like it is an ambition of mine to dive into some of those with the podcast and find ways to rebirth a lot of those stories, and you know, it's a big job, but I'm glad that you're my resource there. Like you're 100 percent the place I'm coming to to to, to yeah. explore this because. It's I'm so committed. Good. I'm committed. They're not going anywhere. I, I've already made That's a pact with myself that I'm. Then I'm not selling them to anyone. I'm not. That's I, great. I, I did sell a few of my VHS tapes a few oh, years really? ago, maybe seven years ago or so. Um, and I, I really, really regret it. So yeah, right. I, if I see them again, I'll buy them and put them back on the shelf. But yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. What's the VHS looking- there that you froth on the most? Like, if you were to pick one out that gets the highest play, what is it? Oh. I mean, I know it's it's probably more modern than a lot of the others, but I, mm. like the tension movies is so amazing. Like mm. they will always be amazing. So yeah, I don't know. I think I really have this connection to Tension Five because it wasn't released on DVD. I mean, right. it was in the box set, but 
for a while there, it was only on the VHS. So, like, I would crank that one out just okay. purely because it was the only VHS. But yeah, the underground tapes are out of control. Um, nostalgic. As- it's interesting, though, because the underground tapes for your journey into bodyboarding, I guess that's why I'm asking because for you to say that the underground tapes are out of control, it's kind of interesting because that wasn't what you grew up watching because it was yeah, already so- done and dusted. Like, Yeah. It's funny because when I first, actually a lot of this collection was before me, before my time sort of thing. And I got Mm. probably, well, the Riptides anyway, I got probably say 50% of it from an old box that someone threw away once. So that's what started the collection. No So when I was about, my first job, I worked at the Tender Center in Port Macquarie, which is selling, selling goods under consignment. Whatever you wanted, yep. you could just come and sell it. And, and I remember this, that. this came in. I don't know who the guy was. I don't even think he bodyboarded, but he had this box of bodyboarding mags. And I think I said, oh, what do you want for these? And he said, I, I could just have them. So I just, I had them and that was the start of the collection. And then from then on, I was like Gumtree, eBay, just slowly. So, but when I first got these, I, I yeah, it was like a history lesson for my, you know, and I was fresh bodyboarding. I, I still really wasn't that great or anything. And I was just like, Flicking the pages and just learning and just learning about all the old dudes, you know, Stuart and um, all the legends of the sport that started, Dave Ballard and, you know, all those names that you can trail off forever. Um, yeah. But I obviously in the mags was this underground tape, you know, they'd promote it in a lot of the old mags. Yeah. I think there was even a few little cutout slips that you could, that hadn't been cut out. Like they're all mint, these mags. I don't know, like. That's crazy. How many people have this sort of collection or if it's only me, but like they're all mint and they've all got the cutouts and all the custom board orders and things like that are still in there. Um, Sick. But yeah, I, I'd always heard about these underground tapes. So I was always on the hunt for them pretty early. Um, so I, yeah, even a lot of people my age that haven't seen them or hadn't even heard about them probably still haven't. That's weird, but I have. So it's <laughs> it, really it, cool. Yeah, look, it's so refreshing to know that you know because there's this really interesting thing like, that period of time, like bodyboarding was so innocent, really. Like, you know, like it didn't have any of this hardcore edge to it as much. It was very much like this, like the waves were waves that I could imagine myself surfing when I was, like, because yeah. I was watching those tapes. You know, I was frothing out on those when I was like between the age of like seven and 12, you could say, like, and I'm just yeah. like, and, you know, I was really into bodyboarding, you know, much, you know, but I just, and those are my influence, you know, like I was watching underground tapes. I was just like, wow, that's North Wall at Port Macquarie. What, Epo just yeah. did a ARS there? It's just like, whoa, you know, and it's all these things that like when, mm. you, when you look back on them and you compare it to some of the really intense bodyboarding that came in those years that you started in 2004, like five, that's when the Shark Island comps were everything. We are going to Tahiti. We were just like mm. doing all this hectic shit. Um and then to 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 look at those old underground tapes, and you go like, "Wow, that's just like a beach break," and they're doing a roll, and yeah. and they're frothing like, and it's so interesting because the fact that you could find that interesting is interesting because there was so yeah. much other content out that was hardcore and in a completely different realm. I think I just I don't know. I think it's interesting. Anything in its infancy is interesting because you see where it's progressed, mm. how it's progressed. So when I look at those tapes, like even lots of stuff that's been done early and it's just been forgotten because it's maybe been considered as kooky or, or whatever, like you can see all the trial and error and stuff that went into it. And 
don't know. I think maybe that's why I find it so nostalgic, even though I didn't live through that. I, I look at it just and just go, oh, like I wish, I wish I had have started back then or was, you know, born a little earlier or something. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just find it so interesting and, and much the same with music. A lot of the music that I love is old music that's way before my time. So maybe there's another parallel there. Mm, no, super cool. I mean, yeah, guard it with your life because I've, when I'm back on the East Coast, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm dropping in. Like we've got to, yeah, there's a lot of stuff I've got to do yeah. with your collection. I've got to have welcome an exploration. Any, welcome anytime. There's another uh, one in there that I don't have anymore, Seven Days, Seven Nights. Oh, that, yeah, that well, was, I can find you one cool. of those. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the ones I sold. I regret it. That was the famous Kirkman production. No, that's, yeah. that's on the agenda still. Don't you worry. Yeah. Um, well, look, I mean, I feel like the, the final kind of closing act, because I, I want to do you the the service of being able to talk to the audience here and kind of like what are you doing next with music? Like where where are things going for you in this career? Like I know COVID's just fucked everything up, but, mm. you know, like what are, what are your plans moving forward to, to kind of build your career in this space? I guess my biggest goal has always been to just put out I, I find myself writing songs like a lot. So mm. I've got, I don't know, probably 10 or 20 albums worth of material that's just ready to go. So I feel like just putting, just keep releasing music. Like whether the only downside is it's so expensive to record an album mm. properly and well and then to have it printed. And, you know, when you're um, independent in every aspect of it, like I am, it's um, you got to pay for everything. No one's trying to help you out. Like it's just, hard so yeah my goal is to just keep releasing music when and if i can and just mm. keep touring and keep playing because at the end of that that's i just love playing music like like i love bodyboarding like i just it's not like i'm like oh i need to get paid i need to make money like i'm just doing it more so because i love doing it so i don't really have like i don't plan to be like the next ed sheeran or anything although that would be cool like mm. i'm just i just love doing it you know like there's so many things in my life at least, that I just do them because I love them. Um, so, yeah, I do music because I love it and, yeah, I'll just keep touring, releasing music, um, probably hope I hope to play better shows, bigger shows, festivals, do more ticketed shows, you know, like because I'm still doing not as much but still the odd pub pub gig here and there as well as yeah. doing like a ticketed show. So it's like it's like you got to shake that and just do the ticketed ones. So I'm yeah, still sure. sort of working out. At the same time, I need to survive, I need to live, I need to pay the rent. So yeah. I do do those gigs on the low key just to get by. But yeah, ultimately sure. I'd love to just do, just to keep doing ticketed gigs and traveling and festivals and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm I think content. it's fun. Yeah, like I think it's cool to like, I love hearing great music in a pub. Like when a, when a muso sets up and they're actually like really good, it's really refreshing, yeah. right? Like it's actually yeah. really like it stops you from, the conversation you were going to have and you go like, oh, yeah. shit, this guy actually rips. And then, yeah. so I don't know, there's something in that still. I reckon, I reckon more musos, if they can do it, they should keep those, you know, just sprinkle a couple of those pubs throughout the year and then, you know, it just connects you to the grassroots still, I reckon. Like, you're, it's so you're nice right. to You're very right. Mm. Um, yeah, I was watching uh, that that latest Beatles um, Netflix thing. Oh, and, yeah. Oh, Tom Disney, I think. that. But yeah, I was I was just watching that, and they're talking about how. Oh, actually, it might have been something else. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Paul McCartney's talking about how he would just love to just go and just do pub gigs. 
<laughs> it's like or cafe, whatever type low key gigs where like there's a few people in the audience that sort of just lightly clapping after every song and how he like yeah. craves that and wants it. Yeah. And like I just think, yeah, like he's it's true. Like I love I do love doing those pub gigs where it's low key and people are like, Oh, who are you? Like, what's your story? Mm-hmm. Why are you here? Like you're really good or whatever. Yeah. Like that's really, you know, heartwarming and then yeah. Like I have had a few bigger festival gigs or whatever where you don't get any of that. You're so disconnected from the people. You do your set, you leave backstage where you're just a whole heap of yeah. other like ego-filled musicians that just don't give yeah. you the time of day and you just walk off and go home. Like there's no yeah. connection at all apart yeah. from what you're doing on stage. So, yeah, no, you, you're right. That it, it is pretty cool. A market, I, do, I did play a lot of markets when I first sort of started. Mm. Um they were main like farmers markets and stuff where just it was all that real, you know, those earthy sort of people that were just all about supporting yeah. you and you just had some yeah. good conversations at the end and that, that I'll, I'll probably never stop doing that sort of thing. I would always want to do that. Yeah, sick, sick. Well, yeah. I, I just think you're a bloody amazing bloke and to, to hear more of your story now, to fill in some of the gaps that I never knew about is really cool for me to learn because, um, yeah, I've been a fan of yours for a while and I think that um, you kind of – you've managed to just through your passion just to balance out two really interesting lives that that intersect and that's the point of this podcast series is to kind of find out more about you know bodyboarders who do these interesting things in their lives and still manage to keep the passion going for the for the boogie at the same time so yeah i really thank you mate thanks for jumping on the podcast and don't hang up i'll just hit stop record and we'll um have another yarn after the after this is done yeah, for sure. But just on the record, I just did want yep. to say uh, a big thanks to Grand Flavor, Chatty Jackson, the man. He saw he he's been yeah looking after me for a little while, and and I'm sort of returning the favor for him. And he's a good dude. No and in the sport, we got to keep supporting the the people that support the sport to sort of keep it alive. I mean, there's a lot of other bodyboard brands out there that should be mentioned as well, but Grand Flavor is legendary. Look, 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 look